Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, August 5th, 2019, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be joined by Josh Caldwell, our Vice President of International Programs, as he leads us through Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 32. All right, we're in the 26th chapter of Acts today for our Bible study, Acts 26. We're going to look at it in its entirety, uh, all 32 verses. So as we come into Acts 26, uh, what's going on here in this passage is that Paul uh, is on trial again. His trial here, uh, the fourth, fifth time that he's been on trial for this thing, this very, very reason is that it's based on his claim that Jesus of Nazareth is the resurrected Messiah. Now, there were also some charges brought by the Jews in chapter 21 that he um, was, was bringing Greeks into the temple, which was, of course, reserved for the Jews um, to be worshiping in the inner court. So they, the, the Jews were tired of Paul, and they wanted to kill him. But the word of this mass hysteria, as they, they rose up and were gathering momentum within their community, they, the, the, the leaders were ready to take Paul out. They were tired of dealing with him and his his, uh, his claims of the resurrected Jesus. They were tired of this, so, so this mass hysteria breaks out. There were threats to kill him. There were plots to kill him. Uh, there, was, there were people taking action to just rid the world of Paul. So as that word uh, of this hysteria travels quickly, allowing centurions and soldiers to intercede uh, and to block any of these plans from taking place. And these claims and this this uh, move by the centurions and soldiers uh, landed Paul in prison for over two years at this point um, for this very thing, this very cause. He is, he's been imprisoned. He's no stranger to standing trial at this point, uh, as we have seen him, again, give his defense probably the fourth time uh, up to this point. So King Agrippa is who Paul would stand before. Um, verses, uh, verse 1, it says that Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Uh, and in verse 20, or in chapter 25, the end, we see Agrippa entering into, uh, into this, this area and coming in ready to hear this trial. So Agrippa, no stranger to the Jewish ways. His great-grandfather, Herod, the, Herod uh, feared the Christ child, and he killed all of the Jewish male children. And his uncle uh, had murdered John the Baptist while his father murdered James and imprisoned Peter. His father also, we see in Acts chapter 12, uh, was the one who was struck down by God immediately and eaten by worms as punishment for getting people and encouraging people to bow down to him and worship him as God. So Agrippa II here, no stranger to some craziness that has happened throughout his family craziness that is happening around him and his even even Bernice who he is traveling with his um, significant other at this point is surrounded by controversy uh, as well uh, through some previous affairs and some things that would happen in the future Uh, and she um, she is just a mess as well so Rome here 
uh, considers Agrippa II to be an expert on the Jews and the Jewish religion because he was uh, a Herodian. He was in that in that line, and and so he's been around this area, been around these parts, and knows these people and their traditions. He was given authority to appoint the high priest in his area and to keep the temple treasury records. Um, and and we see in Acts twenty five that that Agrippa really thought a lot of himself. So he he enters. In uh, verse 23, the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. This pomp, the word Greek word used here is fantasia, where we get the word fantasy, and their fantasy was the power that they wielded. Uh, Agrippa thought he was all powerful at this point. The only one higher than him in his mind was was Caesar. So the, um, the Roman people were infatuated with this this pompous fantastic fantasy uh driven entry that they had made including festus who paul had just stood trial before um so these two come in they're all clothed in purple thinking a lot of themselves they they're accompanied by governors and politicians and several minions that were just surrounding them in an attempt to make them look big and to make paul look and feel smaller and, and we can imagine Paul here just arrayed in humble attire um, and likely dirty from his imprisonment. Um, and, and this tactic was meant to just intimidate him, but it would not impact Paul at all. Who Paul says, this is nothing. I, I've spent time with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, with, with the Son of God. So these folks I can stand before. So we see Paul here. He stretches out his hand. The end of verse one. He, he after being told he had permission to speak for himself, stretched out his hand. And he made his defense, and in doing this, he was giving honor to King Agrippa. He was he was um, paying honor and paying homage to to the office of king, and also he's playing into uh, the the ego of Agrippa. Because he, he knows, first of all, he's, he's, he's excited to, to be standing before someone who knows the traditions, but he also knows, hey, if I'm going to make an impact uh, here in this court, I'm going to get Agrippa to pay attention to me. So by doing that, I'm going to, to, to really kind of play into his ego, which he loves. Agrippa loved this. So uh, the first point in this, Paul sees this, he knows this, he's working with this. The first point here is to know your audience. When you're giving a gospel presentation, having a gospel conversation, teaching, preaching, whatever, know a little bit about your audience. And so Paul knew. Paul knew Agrippa, first of all, um, was his earthly judge in this moment. He knew the, knew the title, the label. He knew the lifestyle. He knew the family history of Agrippa. And he knew what to say and he knew how to say it. Plus, Paul was relying fully on the Holy Spirit to guide his words, his mannerisms, his actions as well. So that definitely helps. But he shows respect to Agrippa as, as, as a man and as the, as the one holding this office. And it was honoring, um, honoring to him that he stretches out his hand and, said, and basically as a way of saying, Thank you, King. And in verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar, verse 3, with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. And he launches in from here. So Paul wasn't uh, exercising any undue reverence. He was, he was actually exercising governmental respect, which he would go and tell us about in Romans chapter 13. 
that we also read about. First Peter chapter 2, to honor the emperor, right? This is Paul saying, I, I honor the office, and I also know who I'm speaking to and how I need to make my points clear without having any undue reverence. So he's got Agrippa's attention, and this allows him to get into his conversion testimony. He stood tall. Paul standing tall before Agrippa uh, and presented the gospel more uh, than, than really giving a personal defense. He shares his testimony of salvation. He shares the gospel tenets with Agrippa, with the court, with the, with the crowd that was there. And, and, that, and those things, he calls upon the Jews in this to also exercise the faith that they claimed. They claimed, they knew that God was omnipotent. God could do anything to the point of resurrection from the dead. And so he's standing on trial for, being, for, for saying that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the Jews are saying God didn't raise anybody from the dead. He couldn't raise anybody from the dead. Wouldn't raise. Like this, this thing goes on and on. So we, have, we are, are blessed today to have eyewitness accounts of these very things. And so we know and believe what we read here in Scripture uh, of Paul's defense and how he came to know Jesus. We also see the second point here uh, in this is to prioritize the gospel. Paul prioritizes the gospel over himself. His his initiating gospel presentation over self-defense shows this as a reality. Paul uh, and the Lord through his writings show us this also in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, he, he says this in uh, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is, this is Paul walking this out, living this. He's prioritizing the gospel. He said, if we have been given this ministry of reconciliation, then, then by the gospel, I will live this out. I will, I will live out and proclaim what I say to, to, to believe, what I, what I have in my life as, a, as faith in Jesus. So then Paul, starting in verse 12 and really going kind of uh, through uh, verse 25, 26, um, he, he's, he tells of his conversion. So the first two points we had, know your audience, prioritize the gospel in your life, and the second is to give an account of your story as often as possible. Your conversion to faith in Christ has internal significance, and not just for you. Mine is not just for me, but, it, but our story can impact someone else as well. And I'm not saying that people are saved by us or by our stories. That's the work of God alone. But I am saying that God will use us. He uses our circumstances. He uses our, our story of conversion and how Christ saved us from despair and hopelessness and hell. He uses those stories for his enduring and eternal glory. And Paul was ready, he was willing, and he was able to do this. He was prepared with his story. To, to present that here today. And so Paul, um, in doing that, goes into his conversion and, and stands in front of people who held his, really held his earthly future in, the, in their hands because he was, he, he was in front of these high-ranking government officials. And in doing that, he didn't back down. He was not intimidated by their office, by their stature. 
by their riches, by their show of pomp and circumstance, but instead said, all glory to Jesus in this testimony. And in, doing, in his testimony that he gives and in, in his conversion, he calls for those that could hear him within earshot. He calls them to repentance. And this repentance is something that is that is an important factor. It's a, it's a continuous thread throughout gospel presentations, gospel conversations in the word. It's, it's a call of Jesus, repent and be baptized. It's a call of John the Baptist, repent and be baptized. It's a call, if you remember back into uh, the beginning of Acts, brother, what must we do to be saved, the crowd asked. And Peter says, you must repent and be baptized. So this call of repentance is key. And so Paul doesn't leave that out here in his testimony. But as we see in verse 24, his testimony would be uh, rudely interrupted uh, by Festus. Verse 24, uh, he says, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. So Festus here pouncing on Paul, waiting for an opportunity to pounce like uh, Simba on a grasshopper. Uh, he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. He's saying, you have studied so much. You have read too many books. You have studied with too many people. And that has made you absolutely crazy. So the last point here in this, remember this, that, that the more we follow Jesus, the more people will consider us mad. They will consider us out of our minds. Uh, because according to the world, we are out of our minds. People uh, for ages have considered disciples of Christ to be crazy. They've considered all Christ followers to just be brainwashed and simply mad out of our minds. So when we when we act like Paul in Philippians 1 21 for to, for to me to live as Christ and to die is game that goes against what the world says as priority. Philippians 3, 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's not something that is quote unquote normal according to the world's standards. Look at the disciples who walk with Christ for three years. They would rather literally die than to denounce him. Look at many today throughout church history that would give up earthly riches, earthly fame for the sake of making Christ known and bringing glory to him. We even look Peter, who was, according to church history and tradition, Peter desired to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy of the same death sentence as Jesus. And if that proves to be true throughout church history, then this had to send people's minds into an absolute tailspin of what in the world was going on with Peter? Who was this Jesus guy? Was this for real? All of this. And the world sees Christians and Christ followers as crazy fanaticals. But sometimes it's worth thinking about. Sometimes, though the world sees that, does Jesus ever look at us as cowering wimps? Because sometimes we, we might go to church on Sunday, and that's the only time that we utter the name of Jesus from our lips. 
So the, maybe the world doesn't always see us as mad, but maybe they should. Maybe we should uh, uh, be different. It's, it's about standing out, standing firm on the promises of Jesus, standing firm in the ways of Christ, standing out according to the world. Be out of our minds, be out of our minds according to the world, and put on the mind of Christ in all that we do. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for our foster care program. We're praying for hosting churches, for classes for the rest of the year, and we're praying that those churches would be strengthened, and we're thankful for the churches that the Lord has brought to host the foster care classes. We're praying for financial provision for our foster care program that the Lord would provide. As you may know, Lifeline does not receive state or federal funding and uh, will not receive state or federal funding because of our deep-seated values. And so pray for financial provision. Pray for our partnership with Child Protective Services, that they will deepen and strengthen in trust, specifically with the supervisors. We pray for the children in care, for their salvation, for healing from the trauma they endured, for quick reunification when families are safe and supported, for adopted families where parental rights have been terminated. Pray for birth families. Pray for their salvation and for them to be motivated to accomplish their goals in order to be reunified with their children pray for current licensed foster families to have wisdom, grace, strength, and patience as they minister to children in need. Pray for foster families in process that they will complete the requirements to become licensed. Pray for more families to respond to the specific needs of older children, sibling groups, and, and medical special needs, children with medical special needs. Pray for upcoming continuing education opportunities, for the Lord to guide us in creating CEUs about school, hard questions, and the first and last 36 hours of a foster care journey. Pray for churches to care for families and child protective services in unique ways the entire length of the fostering journey. Pray for more churches to get involved in foster care and to expand the holistic support of foster families and birth families. Pray for our, our Lifeline foster care teams in Alabama and South Carolina. And we praise the Lord for the number of families who are attending these upcoming Alabama and South Carolina orientations. And we praise the Lord for the completion of the Fostering Hope Package that equips churches to care holistically for foster care. And we pray for the 39 graduates of the foster care training classes that were just recently held. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity for Lifeline to be engaged in the foster care program. Lord, we thank you for the churches that are stepping up and allowing us to do orientations and foster care classes. Lord, we know that you own a cattle on a thousand hills, as it says in Psalm 50. And we know that, as it says in Romans 11, that you have created all things. And so, Lord, we ask that you would provide for this foster care ministry in a way that only you can, in a way where you get the glory. Lord, we pray for our continued relationships with Child Protective Services and that we would be able to deepen and strengthen the trust with the supervisors and the staff and be able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. Lord, we pray for children in foster care. We pray for their salvation, for healing from trauma that they may have endured, for quick reunification with their families where it is best, or for an adoptive family where their parental rights have been terminated. Lord, we pray for families who've lost their kids to foster care, that we pray for their salvation, and we pray for motivation for them to accomplish their goals and to become healthy in order to be reunified with their children. Lord, we ask that you would be with foster families throughout our nation, that you would strengthen them and support them. Lord, we pray for more churches that would wrap around these families holistically. And Lord, we ultimately praise you for the way that you've awakened our nation and you've awoken our state 
effects of Alabama and South Carolina to the foster care uh, epidemic that's going on within these states. And we just ask that you would continue to allow this movement to spread amongst your people in local churches. And Lord, we praise you for these 39 graduates of the foster care training classes so far this year. Lord, we know that you are working and we pray that you would continue to use us for your great glory and for your great aim to be known in the foster care program in our country. And we ask all these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.